Chapter Thirty Eight of the House of Whispers by William Lacroix. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That man's voice. Stokes, the chauffeur, had driven Murray and Hamilton in the car to the village, where the last named, after a conversation with the police inspector, went to the Drathaven Arms, together with two constables who happened to be off duty in plain clothes. They found Crail sitting in the bar, calmly smoking, awaiting a message from his accomplice. Upon Hamilton's recognition he was, after a brief argument, arrested on the charge of theft from Glencardine placed in the car between the two stalwart scotch policemen and conveyed in triumph to the castle much of course against his will he demanded to be taken straight to the police station but as sir henry ordered him to be brought to glencardine and as sir henry was a magistrate the inspector was bound to obey his orders the man's cruel colourless eyes seemed to contract closer as he sat in the car with his enemy hamilton facing him he had never dreamed that they would ever meet again but now they had he saw that the game was up there was no hope of escape he was being taken to meet sir henry hayburn the very last man in all of the world he wished to face his sallow countenance was drawn his lips were thin and bloodless and upon his cheeks were two red spots which showed that he was now in deadly terror gabrielle who had been weeping at the knees of her father heard the whir of the car coming up the drive, and springing to the window witnessed the arrival of the party. A moment later, Crail, between the two constables, and with the local inspector standing respectfully at the rear, stood in the big long library into which the blind man was led by his daughter. When all had assembled, Sir Henry, in a clear distinct voice, said, i have had you arrested and brought here in order to charge you with stealing certain documents from my safe yonder which you opened by means of a duplicate key your accomplice flockhart has given evidence against you therefore to deny it is quite needless whatever he has said to you is lies the foreigner replied his accent being the more pronounced in his excitement i know nothing about it if you deny that exclaimed hamilton quickly you will also perhaps deny that it was you who secretly poisoned miss bryant in the pontorme forest even though i myself saw you at the spot and further that a witness had been found who actually saw you substitute the wine bottles you intended to kill me what ridiculous nonsense you are talking cried the accused who was dressed with his habitual shabby gentility the girl yonder mademoiselle killed miss bryant then why did you make that deliberate attempt upon my life at fotheringay demanded the girl boldly had it not been for mr hamilton who must have seen us together and guessed that you intended foul play i should certainly have been drowned he believed that you knew his secret and he intended both on his own behalf and on flockhart's also to close your lips murray said with you out of the way their attitude toward your father would have been easier but with you still a living witness there was always danger to them he thought your death would be believed to be suicide for he knew your despondent state of mind sir henry stood near the window his face sphinx-like as though turned to stone she fell in was his lame excuse no you threw me in declared the girl but i have feared you until now and i therefore dared not to give information against you ah god alone knows how i have suffered 
You dare now, eh? He snarled, turning quickly upon her. It really does not matter what you deny or what you admit, Hamilton remarked. The French authorities have applied for your extradition to France, and this evening you will be on your way to the extradition court at Bow Street, charged with a graver offense than the burglary at this house. The Surete of Paris make several interesting allegations against you, or against Felix Gerlach, which is your real name. Gerlach? cried the blind man in a loud voice, groping forward. Ah, he shrieked, then I was not mistaken when, when I thought I recognized the voice, that man's voice. Yes, it is his, his. In an instant, Crail had sprung forward towards the blind and defenseless man, but his captors were fortunately too quick and prevented him. Then, at the inspector's orders, a pair of steel bracelets were quickly placed upon his wrists. Gerlock, Felix Gerlock, repeated the blind baronet as though to himself, as he heard the snap of the lock upon the prisoner's wrists. The fellow burst out in a peal of, of harsh, discordant laughter. He was endeavoring to retain a defiant attitude even then. You apparently know this man, Dad? Gabrielle exclaimed in surprise. Know him? echoed her father hoarsely. Know Felix Gerlach. Yes, I have bitter cause to remember the man who stands there before you accused of the crime of murder. Then he paused and drew a long breath. I unmasked him once as a thief and a swindler, and he swore to be avenged, said the baronet in a bitter voice. It was long ago. He came to me in London and offered me a concession, which he said he had obtained from the Ottoman government for the construction of a railroad from Smyrna to the Bosphorus. The documents appeared to be all right and in order, and after some negotiations he sold the concession to me and received ten thousand pounds in cash of the purchase money in advance. A week afterwards I discovered that, though the concession had been granted by the Minister of Public Works at the Sublime Port, it had been sold to the Ekman Group in Vienna, and the papers I held were merely copies with forged signatures and stamps. I applied to the police. This man was arrested in Hamburg and brought back to London, where he was tried, and a previous conviction having been proved against him, sent to penal servitude for seven years. In the dock at the Old Bailey, he swore to be avenged upon me and upon my family. And he seems to have kept his word, Walter remarked. When he came out of prison, he found me in the zenith of my political career, Sir Henry went on on that well-remembered night at the Albert Hall. I can only surmise that he went there, heard me, and probably became fiercely resentful that he had found a man cleverer than himself. The fact remains that he must have gone in a cab in front of my carriage to Park Street, alighted before me, and secreted himself within the portico. It was midnight, and the street was deserted. My carriage stopped, I got out, and it then drove on to the mews. I was in the act of opening the door with my latch-key when, by an unknown hand, there was full flung into my eyes some corrosive fluid which burned terribly and caused me excruciating pain. I heard a man's exultant voice cry, There! I promised you that, and you have it. The voice I recognized as that of the blackguard standing before you. Since that moment, he added in a blank, hoarse voice, I have been totally blind. You got me seven years, cried the foreigner with a harsh laugh, so think yourself very lucky that I didn't kill you. 
you placed upon me an affliction a perpetual darkness that to a man like myself is almost akin to death replied his accuser very gravely secure from recognition you wormed yourself into the confidence of my wife for you were bent upon ruining her also and you took as partner in your schemes that needy adventurer flockart i now see it all quite plainly hamilton had recognized you as gerlach and you therefore formed a plot to get rid of him and throw the crime upon my poor unfortunate daughter even though she was scarcely more than a child in all probability lady heyburn in telling the girl the story regarding murray and miss bryant believed it and if so she would also suspect my daughter to be the actual criminal this is utterly astounding dad cried gabrielle if you knew who it was who deliberately blinded you why didn't you prosecute him because there were no witness of his dastardly act my child and i myself never saw him therefore i was compelled to remain in silence and allow the world to believe my affliction due to natural causes was his blank response the sallow-faced foreigner laughed again laughed in the face of the man whose eyesight he had so deliberately taken he could not speak what had he to say well remarked hamilton we have at least the satisfaction of knowing that both this man and his accomplice will stand their trial for their heartless crime in france and that they will meet their just punishment according to the laws of god and of man and i added walter in a voice broken by emotion as he again took gabrielle's hand tenderly have the supreme satisfaction of knowing that my darling is cleared of a foul dastardly and terrible charge End of chapter 38